School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, January 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out why one state legislator wants to loosen the strings on medical marijuana in Mississippi. Talking about the derivative products that they use, the teas and the ointments and what have you. Uh, we can in Mississippi get some CBD products that, um, that have a very, very low dosage of THC. And after StoryCorps, learn why veterans can be more prone to suicide and how the VA is more working to help. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. First, an update on the winter weather system moving out of Mississippi. The light snow that affected some parts of the state has all but dissipated by now. The National Weather Service reports most areas experience best-case scenarios overnight. Snowfall in some areas may reach an inch when all is said and done. The Weather Service has a winter weather advisory in effect in central Mississippi until 9 this morning. Of course, if the weather situation changes for the worse, we will be here to tell you about it. In other news, more than 30 states have legalized marijuana in some form. Now House Democrat Omeria Scott of Laurel hopes Mississippi will do the same. She's introduced a medical marijuana bill to help people who suffer from diseases like Parkinson's, ALS, or have seizures. Scott is herself a cancer survivor. She says House Bill 1371 would give more treatment options to patients like her. We want to legalize the medical use of marijuana in products uh, and derivatives so that people who are suffering from uh, cancer and the inability to eat, uh, ALS, uh, people that are suffering from Parkinson's or seizure disorders, uh, there are so many different diseases that people could benefit from if uh, our citizens in the state of Mississippi were afforded the opportunity to utilize this product in a medical treatment. And it does, most people are thinking in terms that this is, that it has to be smoked. You don't, that's not the only way that you can get the treatment. Uh, You can get it through uh, gummy bears and food and tea and, uh, and, and would help you uh, people to uh, manage these um, these uh, conditions, and it, and and, and the, the marijuana itself would be just like uh, if a person were taking any other medical treatment uh, to manage a medical condition. How would you control the use of it? How would you make sure that it wasn't abused? Of course, you know, by being a medical treatment then you will have to have a prescription. And what I feel says is that you will have to have a medical doctor that would be a licensed physician of whom you are receiving care from. So you just can't go into somebody and, 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 and they write you a prescription. This has to be a person that will say that you're receiving care. And just like when they write a prescription for any other medical treatment, it is a testing that you, uh, that you need this particular treatment. The doctor will then write 
the prescription saying that you need this uh, uh, medical treatment, then you will go to a dispensary, which would be similar to a pharmacy. Uh, you know, that's what my bill uh, outlines. That does not keep regular pharmacies from participating and becoming dispensaries. But you will go to the dispensary, which would be just similar to a pharmacy, with your prescription, and the prescription would be filled. Are doctors on board with this? Do they even know how to prescribe medical marijuana? Doctors would know from the literature that is out there that's available that there is medical proof that people are able to get help from uh, this medical treatment through marijuana. We've had 37 states. There are now 37 states that have uh, medical marijuana where you can where the, it is legal in the state and, and all of the derivatives and products that can be made from the marijuana plant can be made available to uh, patients who need it. See, you have to be a patient who needs the product. This would not be available to everybody on demand. You um, have experienced uh, cancer, and uh, you're cancer-free now. Have you been able to use marijuana in any part of your treatment? Well, as you know, medical marijuana is not legal in the state of Mississippi, and nor was it legal in the state where I received my treatment, which was in Texas, uh, the state of Texas. medical marijuana is not legal. So because of that, uh, and actually how I learned about uh, all of the treatments and what was all involved and all of the many diseases that could be treated by medical marijuana was when I was uh, in cancer treatment in Texas at one of the um, better facilities actually in the world. And people were there with some other um, from other states with um, their derivative, uh, talking about the derivative products that they use, the teas and the ointments and what have you. As you know, uh, we can in Mississippi get some CBD products that um, that have a very, very low dosage of THC in them, which can be available to uh, to the citizens. But of course, None of those products work like what the legalized uh, marijuana products in the legalized states, how that treatment works. These ointments and what have you are very low dose and they don't uh, work as well. Representative Omeria Scott of Laurel with MPB's Desiree Fraser. Representative Richard Bennett is a Republican from Long Beach. He says he has many concerns about loosening regulations on marijuana. Bennett says such a measure would probably not get enough support in the House. That's something you better be very careful with right now. We're fighting cancer in the academic because of cigarettes right now, and we're raising taxes trying to get people to quit smoking. I can't see putting another product out there, making it legal at this point, that is going to cause a lot of health problems. And until we know a little more about it, no, I don't think it's an issue. I, I can tell you that I'm not in favor of it, and I don't believe the House as a whole is in favor of it. Representative Richard Bennett of Long Beach. Coming up, learn why veterans can be more prone to suicide and how the VA is working to help. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
do have questions about investing, about retirement? Do you have questions about credit cards? You're in luck. Tuesday is an open topic day on Money Talks. Ryder Taff and Nancy Lottridge-Anderson will be with your host, Kevin Farrell, to take your calls and emails. The email address is money at mpbonline.org. Listen to Money Talks today at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio and on the Internet at mpbonline.org. Whether traveling through Oxford or Tupelo, stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. A lot of attention has been paid in recent years to the professional roles of women and the challenges they still face in the workplace. In today's StoryCorps Mississippi conversation, Anna Neal talks with her daughter, Jamie Masters, about what it was like for women working 40 or more years ago. Most of your your friends' moms were not like career women, right? Most of my friends, when I was growing up, their mother just didn't work at all. But you have to remember, this is coming in after the Second World War, after the Philippines War, and the men were coming back into the country And the women that were working went into the homes, and they stayed there. So I was part of that generation whose mothers didn't work. Daddy got up, went to work, and everybody came home at 5 o'clock. And everybody had a cocktail, and then they had dinner and watched television, and then everyone went to bed. And that was the American dream, and that's where that whole American mainstream is what I was raised in. Having grown up in that, what was it? like for you as a young adult trying to figure out sort of your place? Well, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be I wanted to be an artist and I knew I wanted to work in creative. My father, the first year when I was heading to college, he's told me, he said, the reason you're going to college now is to go and find a husband. That's the only reason for a young woman like you to go to work. Of course, by the time I graduated, things had changed so dramatically in this country. He didn't feel that way anymore. But at the, that when I, as a freshman, he did. That was quite a big change in just four years. Well, you have to remember that whole time, the 60s and the 70s were times of major change. So we had major changes. And we had women's rights come in. We had people like Gloria Steinem. We had some very, very, and especially as I got a little further in my career, by seven or eight years into my career, the women's movement had come along and things were dramatically starting to change. But when I first went into J. Walter Thompson, I was the only woman. Everybody else was either a production person or a copywriter, and I was the only art, not an art director, but there were no women art directors at that time. And I mean, it was not unusual for something like the creative director just to walk over and just hand a cup of coffee to one of the women and say, give me coffee get me this. And basically, this woman just would run back and forth, back and forth, doing whatever they wanted to say. At that time, everyone had a secretary. People didn't type their own letters. They handed it to a secretary who went off and typed it and then brought it back for approval. It was just a whole different time at that point in the game. And women had jobs, but they weren't jobs of influence. So how hard was that when you started to try to have a family as a young adult? You were essentially trying to work and build a career, but you had young children. Well, it, you I have don't to, like, think... take off and they get sick. And how do you explain your very male-dominated people that you've got to take off because your kid is sick? You know, I think that there's been a lot of improvements about it. And I think there's a lot of husbands that are true partners that are helping these days. But I still think it's not dramatically improved 
I was fortunate that had a husband who did help and was willing to say, okay, you go to work half a day, I'll go to work half a day when there was a sick child. But as far as the job market and as far as employers understanding or making extra time for families and understanding, I still, even today, have seen people with young children get a lot of pings on their performance because they had to take time off with a sick child or something like that. Luckily, by the time I was having children, I was working for an agency that was owned by a family. So that was a little bit more helpful because the family was involved, the family was all there. On the other hand, it also held me back because it was a family business. I was never going to become a major partner, partner CEO, or, CEO like or anything like that in that business. So from that standpoint, it was very bad. But I will tell you, the biggest thing was the salary. It wasn't the amount of support you got because you had to take care of your kids or not. I remember when I went to work for RCA and I had gone through an agency and the agency had said, okay, we're going to start you at X amount of money. And they decided they were going to hire me, but the vice presidents were coming out and saying, ask her to, if she'll go to work for less money, offer her $3,000 less and see if she'll go to work for it. She's a woman. She'll go to work for it. We don't have to pay her as much. And I did. And I learned a lot there. But that was pretty prevalent, and I'm not so sure it's not still prevalent today. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Robin Young. We know that children with disabilities or autism are at increased risk of bullying, but some parents say it's the adults who are abusing them. The bus driver had told her to zip it, scream at her from the driver's seat, and when I did bring this up to the teachers, they investigated, and it was confirmed by the bus matron. Next time, here and now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. Whether you're a thrifty shopper or someone who likes to buy the whole store, Change is the program that will allow your purchases to show your support for the quality content on MPB Radio. This easy and no-hassle program rounds up your credit or debit card purchases to the nearest dollar and sends us the difference. You support MPB and get something nice for yourself. To sign up for Change, visit our website, mpbonline.org, and click support. MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org underwriting for more information. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Veterans in Mississippi are more likely to attempt suicide than their civilian counterparts. That's according to an official with the Sonny Montgomery VA Medical Center in Jackson. Brandon Dobson is Suicide Prevention Director at the Sonny Montgomery VA. He talks about why suicide is an important issue for those who care for America's military veterans. Suicide is the simplest leading cause of death in the United States. And when you're thinking of veterans, that rate increases at least by... Um, 60%. 
Um, depending on no male or female, that definitely gets a little higher. But the veteran population, because they're dealing with so many um, different issues, traumatic issues, um, reintegration into civilian life, they're at a higher risk to complete it than the normal population. What What have you seen in the rate of suicide among veterans over the years? Is Is it an upward trend? Is it a downward trend? Or or is the the number kind of consistent over the last recent years? In the last recent years, because the VA has done a, a really good job of implementing different programs, um, different pilot programs, and definitely um, putting um, money towards different events, we've actually seen the rate decrease. Because we know when you have prevention, when you have programs in place, that gives the veterans an opportunity to uh, vent their frustrations and have somebody to um, help them with the issues they have going on. What has the VA learned about why military veterans uh, are more susceptible than the general public to thoughts and actions related to suicide or attempted suicide? Um, a lot of them are what they like to call boots on the ground, veterans who see deployment. Um, and when you're in those situations, you're dealing with trauma, you're dealing with um, issues that can cause PTSD, you're dealing with being in a war-torn situation, and, you know, that that's very traumatic. And so when they come back here, they are still dealing with that trauma. Uh, we know that um, veterans who come back and are integrated to civilian life, they're even at a higher rate. So we definitely try to get those veterans as soon as possible to give them the mental health services or primary care services that they need. When a service member has been deployed and they come back to the United States, how how is it determined what kind of mental health resources uh, they're required to take advantage of before they're just kind of turned out to their family and their community and and left to live life on their own? The military, they're doing a really good job of putting on what's called yellow ribbon events. The yellow ribbon events, they have pre-yellow ribbon and then post-yellow ribbon. And those are events to help the veteran um, to know what they can expect. One, with going to be deployed, um, things to look out for. And also when they get back, what services are available through their local VA or vet center. Um, it's just what they need to do to get registered and get into the VA system to start receiving those mental health services. What symptoms, I guess, might be a word, or what what kind of thought processes or or what evidence should either a, a veteran be looking for in their own thoughts and ideas and ideations, or maybe maybe what should a family member be looking for among a, a veteran that they that they know that might say, ah, this person is at risk and we need to seek help for them. Um, you're going to look for um, behavior changes. Maybe the person is a little bit more irritable than normal. Maybe they're unable to sleep. Maybe they're starting to have some loose instability. Um, maybe they're starting to cry, you know, maybe a little depression, some feelings of hopelessness. And, or maybe they're engaging in some very risky behavior, maybe starting to drink more, do drugs. Um, and it, it's a change in their normal behavior. Um, typically, when you do see veterans, they come back from being um, deploy, um, they can have triggers from being in that particular um, wartime situation. You know, they may kind of revert back or kind of think about some of the things that happened, and they can kind of come out the blue. You know, we call those triggers, they may be triggered from noises. You know, we have a lot of agents that say when it's 4th of July or there are different firework type of holidays, it triggers their thoughts of being back into a wartime situation. So if I was a family member or if I was a veteran or, you know, somebody who's looking to um, get help for a veteran, definitely look at those changes in behaviors. There's a little different depression, anxiety, um, anger, something that's a little different from their norm. The stereotype is uh, somebody who might be having problems, uh, whether it's thoughts of suicide or other emotional uh, issues, 
after their deployment has ended, but uh, is reticent to actually bring that up to a care provider or even a family member of some kind because it might make them uh, look weak or because uh, they think they should just be able to handle it. How accurate is is that stereotype? Is that something that's seen a lot? It is. Um, A lot of times uh, in the military, um, you're taught to, you know, definitely be strong and, you know, do what you can for your fellow comrades. And sometimes, and just not even just uh, men, but veterans in general, coming back and having to um, let somebody know, okay, I have a problem. Um, like you said, it can make some people feel like they're weak, especially if you're dealing with men. They don't, we don't like to open up about a lot of things anyway. Um, so if you have somebody who's also a veteran, they kind of can keep that very close to them, and they don't really want their family members to get worried. They don't want anybody to look at them. Um, in a certain way. Now, I understand you may not want to open up to everybody, but there are people out here, uh, especially here, you know, the VA, that are willing to give you those services that you need, and it's all confidential. So if a veteran is experiencing these thoughts, if they are thinking about suicide or, or harming themselves in some other kind of way, what should they do? If they are immediately thinking that they are thinking about completing suicide or they're having those thoughts of wanting to end a life, I would definitely say first you want to call 911 because that may be a situation where they need immediate help. Um, but if they are just really needing somebody to talk to, we have what's called the Veterans Crisis Line. Um, it's a 24-hour hotline, seven days a week, uh, birthdays, holidays, and Christmas. And it's actually a national hotline. They can call it anywhere. They can be in Alaska and um, once they call at 9, they'll be uh, assessed by a responder and then transported to one of the um, suicide prevention coordinators in their area. Um, and that particular number is uh, 1-800-273-8255, press 1. So everybody started grabbing their pen when you were halfway through that number. So say it one, <laughs> say it one more yeah, time. I talk fast. I'm sorry. Um, the number is 1-800-273-8255. You can call it any time. Okay, that sounds good. Well, thank you very much for sharing this information with us, and uh, I hope it uh, hits the right ears. Brandon Dobson is the Suicide Prevention Coordinator at the Sunny Montgomery VA Medical Center in Jackson. Yes, Brandon, sir. thank you, so thank much. you very much. Before we leave you, just to reiterate that the the weather didn't quite turn out to what we feared, which is great news. But please remember that a lot of, well, schools are closed today, many schools, but businesses as well. So you may want to call ahead before you head out. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10 o'clock, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Relatively Speaking from Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores or by subscribing to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. 
when you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash car tag. We'll see you on the road. have questions about investing about retirement do you have questions about credit cards you're in luck tuesday is an open topic day on money talks Ryder taff and nancy lotridge anderson will be with your host kevin farrell to take your calls and emails the email address is money at mpbonline.org listen to money talks today at 9 a.m on mpb think radio and on the internet at mpbonline.org Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.